Welcome to the Jungian Anthology Podcast, Analytical Psychology Seminars from the C.G. Jung Institute of Chicago. Episode 19, A Conversation with Arwind Vasavada. Arwind Vasavada was born and raised in India. In the 1950s, he traveled to Zurich to study at the Jung Institute and to work in analysis with C.G. Jung. Although he had only a few sessions with Jung, he considered him his guru, a title which Jung himself did not accept in the Indian sense, but gave Vasavada nevertheless some important transmissions, to put it in the terminology of Hindu tradition. After finishing his training in Zurich, Vasavada returned to India to open an analytic practice. June Singer visited him in India in the early 1970s and invited him to come to Chicago, an invitation he gladly accepted. Vasavada lived and worked as a Jungian analyst in Chicago throughout the 1970s and 1980s, and he was a founding member of the Interregional Society of Jungian Analysts and the Chicago Society of Jungian Analysts. He had a strong and dedicated following of students in Chicago until he retired in the early 1990s and moved to his son's home in the state of Washington. After that, he visited Chicago intermittently until his death in India in 1998. In the 1980s, analyst Joseph Pasek and Marie Stein held a series of discussions with Vasavada in Pasek's home, where they were filmed for posterity. The dialogues revolved in general around analytical psychology and its similarities with and differences from the traditions of the East. The following is an excerpt from one of these conversations. Arun Vasavada also gave a lecture on Hinduism in 1994, and a link to that is in the show notes. This is July 22nd, 1982. Dr. Pasek and I are with uh, Dr. Arwin Vasavada, <clears throat> who is about to move out of the Chicago area to Seattle to be with his son. And this is one of our last opportunities, Arwin, to speak with you about some things that uh, we know will be interesting to the future, uh, future trainees in the Institute and whoever will have the opportunity to watch this tape. Um, earlier we did a tape of your life and biography and so that's been covered and today we want to cover some more other topics that have to do with therapy and theory and Jungian psychology and so on. Mm -hmm. So maybe we could start with a question that combines the biography and the theory to ask you something about how you yourself came to terms with Jungian psychology or integrated it into your own background, coming from India with with your uh, religious tradition, your training in literature, so on, coming to Western psychology. Uh, did you find it difficult? Were there some points where uh, there, there were such large differences that you couldn't reconcile them or... Maybe you could just start talking about that. And, uh... Yeah. <clears throat> the difficulties that I encountered between my own tradition of the Guru and you, that was soon after I reached India, having got my diploma. 
the main emphasis which uh, became very clear to me was that my group as i found later on on return from zurich that he did not emphasize or give importance to personal situation that was going on within me when i returned to uh, india there was something which was bothering me and i wanted to understand that and it con- it related to certain relationship between myself and another person he did not care to go into that whereas i had learned to stay with my feeling with my dream and whatever i was experiencing according to you mm-hmm. and that was the biggest uh, difference which i for the first time found <coughs> i could not reconcile at one point i was even angry with him but somehow carried on whatever i learned from you and started working with that person with whom my difficulties of relationship came about through her dream my dream and letting the person understand the relationship into which uh difficulties were emerging mm-hmm. and working through the dream i saw that in course of time i could talk to myself to her from my own tradition and so being with that situation being with the feelings and looking into dreams did not ultimately uh, create that problem but it took me at least 5 years uh-huh. before i could reconcile or relate the two things from two different angles but meeting in the same goal and during this period what helped me a lot was opportunity that i had to go back to the institute because quite twice i had the fellowship and things like that in zurich and i could talk to dr meyer as to what i was experiencing and during that that period of relationship even couple of letters from you felt me a lot and he told me that i expected this had to be you have to go through this thing and integrate or say reconcile whatever word we may use the two strings from uh, from two different cultures is it was it the case that that it was the personal element that was not reconcilable at first with the eastern guru tradition the feelings the dreams 
your own personal involvement in a relationship. That was not that would not be taken into account. Uh, because whenever I used to talk to him about it, he said it's a passing phase, it will go away. Don't worry. Let it go. Yeah. Pass it on. I see. That is what he was saying. I see. And thus I felt it I was this was being brushed aside. Mm-hmm. I was being made of no importance. Mm-hmm. And actually that is what I had to learn. Yes. <laughs> Arvind, uh, <clears throat> I wonder if uh, when you said you got even angry at him at one point, yes. that that was related to the intensity of that feeling and you kind of couldn't just let go of that because it was intensive. It has certain intensity, certain impact on you. Uh, what? I couldn't follow you. The feelings that you had, these personal feelings, had certain intensity and you felt them inwardly. While Guru was saying, let it just go, it will pass away. Uh, actually, the anger that came to me in relation, I, I was angry at him only because at that time I felt he was not paying attention to the suffering I was in. Yes, that was it. That's what I meant. Ah, you felt yeah. the intensity of that suffering. Oh, and you thought, how can one let go of anything that has certain intensity That's and correct. so impact? That's correct. That's correct. And how to let go of suffering by suffering, uh-huh. <laughs> even to suffering, not letting it out, uh, not spilling out the blood from the vessel and containing it. It is this which I have to know. And perhaps I did not learn that even in Zurich, but because Many times when the dreams were not easy to understand and lot of, you know, inner conflict was going on, what was required was to stay with it, which I had not Through, in a different way, I learned from my guru and thus I could make use of the two things that you can do that by um, meditating over your dreams, your feelings, and thus to they meet. Mm-hmm. Yes, well, I think that's very interesting because the, the guru's way would have been to uh, detach yourself completely from your own personal life and your problems and so on. Uh, you were taking uh, the personal factor much more into account. So in your own work today, you combine something of the Eastern tradition of uh, the large picture, viewing the self, what's going on at the deeper levels and, and so on, plus uh, in a, uh, without ignoring the personal. Yes, How have you combined those in your work with patients? I mean, what do you... Yeah. Yeah, that's correct. And in this uh, I uh, was helped much more by focusing technique of Jin Jinlin. I see. Can you say something about that? Oh, yes. Because when <coughs> I first met Jean and talked, we talked each other, uh, to each other about what we were doing and he told me about focusing and then he asked me about meditation and I said, what meditation is, is to let things happen 
when you are sitting idle and let thoughts and feelings come, just attend to them. Because that's my focusing and that's my meditation. <laughs> and then I attended some of his courses and his uh, changes groups and I, what I saw was that he made people look within to the whole of the organism as the organism was feeling, whether in terms of physic, physical things, discomfort, or psychologically, and just stay with it and let answer come from there. It is this which gives importance to the person and yet goes beyond to what that moment is telling you. And so in this manner, when my clients come and they are in a throw of pain, we enter together into the pain and let the person feel into it and see what that pain tells and listen to it. In this manner, Jean helped me a lot. And thus the person and transpersonal both could be held together like that. Now what you're saying is you start with the personal and then that goes into the transpersonal. You don't start with the transpersonal. No. You cannot because uh, when the person is relating whatever trouble he has, it is so personal and it is only through that we have to go beyond. Actually, what you're saying also that you start with whatever has what intensity, I mean. whatever has intensity, and whatever is in the foreground, yes. you go with that. Yes. And it could be personal, could be sometimes a big jump into something that even isn't personal. But if you start with what yes. what has intensity, means we don't go without with any kind of preconception, prejudging. We are listening present to the moment. In what way has the Jungian theory helped you. I mean, you you could do almost all of this. You could focus or you can be with the feeling and so on without any of the concepts of Jungian psychology or mm-hmm. uh, so on and so forth. How does the Jungian theory fit in or how does it help? It does help a lot for people in the West. And yesterday only I was talking to a group of theosophists because they are having celebration and they are asked me to talk about you. Mm-hmm. I said, Jung, the prophet of the rest. <laughs> that is what I call it. Uh-huh. Topic. And I told them, and which I really uh, believe and feel it, that the only way for the West, Western man, rationally oriented, scientifically oriented, to enter the realm of the divine is through dream and archetypal materialism, which is there right before them, visually, experientially, and to be able to deepen the insight, the meaning of this is the entering of the realm of the divine. Mm-hmm. And therefore, uh, Jung <coughs> is truly a mystical religious Leader. Now, what you, uh, I mean, what Jung contributed was the, um, one of the ideas was that you can enter the realm of the divine through the dream, which is a personal, one-time exactly. experience, right? 
<coughs> so you and don't enter the divine through. And so we have to like take note of what the uh, the person is bringing and go through that and leave aside the Eastern concepts altogether for them. Yes. <laughs> In a way, what you are saying, Murray, that uh, the freshness of the image, right, uh, that he emphasizes, uh, uh, contrary to the staleness, which differentiates him from the organized religions, in a way where the emphasis was more on the tradition yeah. and on the repetitiveness of the old images. Yeah. Where he wants that person really discovers his own image and somehow then gets into that. That's correct. Uh, that's that the image points to. Mm-hmm. How did the, the theosophists accept your speech about Jung? They, they really enjoyed it. And uh, quite a few uh, interesting and non-interesting questions came. Yes. Uh, somebody asked, what uh, did uh, Jung talk, uh, did Jung believe in reincarnation? Did he believe in karma? And I have to say, I don't know anything about karma, but reincarnation, he has talked about it, but he has no opinion about it. <laughs> Well, that does raise the interesting question of uh, afterlife, though. And uh, Jung had some, <clears throat> toward the end of his life at least, some very strong opinions about that. And uh, how about yourself? What, what, what is your present mm. after op- opinion about death? And uh, or how do you work with it if somebody brings you that problem? Somebody close to them dies, or they are facing their own death. <laughs> what sort of attitude do you have about that now? Uh, I have learned a lot about ending and what we call death during this couple of years of my suffering with arthritis and being alone. There is only this moment. There is nothing like past and future. Therefore, there is no other afterlife. This is life that I see it. This moment includes eternity. What prevents me from being with it is my identification with this body and with the past. And to the extent it is possible to release oneself from that past, there is no problem. And so, a client who comes about the fears of death, then very slowly and very cautiously, looking to where the person is, one has, I have to make him aware of what really is dying and where the fear lies. And that's more about it. Is a very delicate thing. Yes. Very delicate. I wonder also, Harvind, if this is not a central thing actually in your work with people, in your work with yourself uh, as uh, meditation, this whole issue of death as an uh, ending. <laughs> and yeah, the ending of the identity mm-hmm. uh, and the total ending, not some kind mm-hmm. of a partial ending and uh, which is not ending actually. In a way, I w- would like that you talk a little about it. Uh, is that what you're saying, that the ending is ending? It is not partial. You are brought it in a very interesting and very important question. 
ending, it has to be total. And whenever there is ending, it's always total. Every moment it ends. See, I measure the endless with this time which is beginning and ending. Let me explain to you. Very if one can get into that thing, this problem of I am whole now and I am not whole now, fragmented later, this does not bother. How? Before I speak, this this totality, this is all words, but there is something there. When I speak, I become of myself, become of time. Aware of the time. Sentence ends. Time ends. Okay? Yeah. I am there. But I don't know. I can't talk about it. So, so I say wrongly that this consciousness is continuous, whereas wholeness comes and goes. The mistake is, I am measuring that which is immeasurable by this little beginning and ending of my thinking, beginning and ending of my act. When I begin to understand that this is a wave coming out of the same wholeness, it is a wave which is coming and meeting again and again, no problem of being fragmented or whole. So, every moment to become aware of ending as a total, it is always true. And that in a way can happen in a way if the measure ends in ah. a particular moment. And this is the meditation, I feel the yeah. word meditation means to measure, right? Yes. yes. And really means also to handle the measure. Yes. And Means to be in that silence from which everything, all words come. That is in the, the beginning of, was the world and world was its world. The goal of your meditation is to reach the silence and to be at one with the silence. Silence of thought. And yet it will be speaking. Because out of that silence when thinking, talking happens, it happens. I don't. Mm-hmm. So silence is not. It's very. It is silence, and yet it is talk. Yeah. <laughs> Are you saying, Arvind, mm-hmm. uh, to make it clear and connect a little with uh, mm-hmm. Jung's position? Uh-huh. The the thought is there, and yet the identity to thought is not there. Kind of a, like a. In a way, if we go back to the uh, more kind of formal uh, categories like ego mm-hmm. and uh, complexes and all that, ego is a thought, mm-hmm. but it's not just any thought, but it's a fixated thought. Mm-hmm. It's identified. One is one is identified. Yes. So what you are talking about, ending of the identity, not actually ending of the thought, but ending of the identity to the thought. Is that that what you're saying? Yes. The emotional attachment to 
what I know, which is mine, which is really not mine. I receive from the connectivity, from the world. It belongs over there. I just hold it in my little hands. That's all. This so in a way that is what you mean also. Yeah, and in a way the me is then false actually because oh. me identifies with that collective thoughts. So the me is. Are you saying that? Have we false? seen our me? That's a thought concept. There is something we cannot deny that thing, which is there. Here is this piece. I speak. You speak. This is happening. We cannot deny that, but. It is the false idea that I am this, identified as I am with my knowledge, and therefore I am something. That is taken care of. It's not that. It's, it's false assumption. So light is there, which is used in knowledge when a, from the past, from the brain but not identifying itself with any of the contents of knowledge. Mm-hmm. What further dangers of identifying uh, you foresee in the practice and uh, uh, in working with people and in your own life? What kind of, a, a little more specifically if you talk, what kind of a danger of identifying and fixating on a certain thought as me? Identification, me, fixation with anything, identification with anything, and thus separating myself from the other. I have created already isolation, division within the whole which I am. I have already done it. What more can we say about it? Any kind of identification. And therefore, for us unions, who have learned experience and are on the way to the wholeness, how can we even talk that we are unions, even though we are unions, and separate ourselves from anyone? We include everything. It in, not we. It includes everything. Wholeness includes everything. I see that. And in this Eastern and Western tradition, all is one. Sarvam Kaluidam Brahma. Everything is Brahma. Like that. So you are saying even that is a danger to identify with that. I remember once a kind of a funny kind of remark of Jung uh, written somewhere that says Jung said, Thank God I'm Jungian, not Jungian. I thought it is a kind of funny statement, but I thought it is a profound point. It's one of the most profound points, actually, that I read in Jung in this mm-hmm. statement. Well, you wouldn't call yourself a Jungian, then. I mean, you, you've, uh, you've used Jung on your way, as we all have. Yes. And have found help and so on, but uh, you've, uh, in, the way, in a way, made used other things as well and, and come to your own thoughts and ideas and perspectives, methods. Mm-hmm. What's this question? Well, uh, this question of identifying oneself mm-hmm. as a Jungian, of uh-huh. course, out there in the marketplace, you know, if somebody says, what kind of therapist are you? 
right. it's an easy way yes. of orienting people. So, but surely mm-hmm. people come to you and expect a Jungian treatment, mm-hmm. right? They have something in their heads. What is a Jungian treatment? I want to individuate. Here's the process Jung writes about. And they come to Arwen and you do something a little different. Mm-hmm. Or uh, mm-hmm. they, you don't meet their expectations because you have your own right. way. You know, Correct. But being a Jungian... Uh, say... Easy is my difficulty. Because, firstly, <coughs> name Jungian or Freudian is a kind of counter which I give to people that this is what I am, or personal. Since Jungian way is a way to wholeness, therefore, <coughs> I can give the person what the person wants. So there, there is a difficulty. And therefore, knowingly that when I call myself Jungian, I am not limiting myself and distinguishing myself from others, but that something that which is wholeness, if this is what I am for and doing it, therefore it's very different. I am not naming myself now, when I do it consciously, given name that I am a Jungian. Yes. Well, I think one of the, the differences, at least it's an obvious one to me, between <laughs> Eastern ways of spiritual growth and development and Western Jungian or other psychoanalytic ways is the relationship to the guru or to the, to the doctor. Yes. <clears throat> and uh, we have the idea that... Uh, one should resolve the transference, for example, that you, you project the self on your teacher or, and so on, and then at the end you should take it back, whereas in the East I don't think there is that idea. So oh, no, it is there. Is it? Tell me. The idea is not there, uh-huh. but uh, the, the situation arises very clearly. Yes. Because uh, I glorify my guru, I begin to identify myself with him, imitate him and begin to talk as if I am a guru. Mm-hmm. So, the same phenomena yes. which you see here. So, I, I remember very well a very interesting incident. Uh, it was a couple of years that I had been, I was with my first guru. And the night before this event happened, uh, we were in an ecstatic situation, experience, myself, my wife and everybody. Okay? <coughs> so I was in that frame of uh, mind even for a couple of days. And during this period, we were bathing open place near the well, drawing water, and male and female, both were, you know, having a bath, pouring water. And I was enjoying the sight of my wife, of my friends and all that. And talking something as he would talk. And he comes there and rebukes me like anything. 
And <laughs> what is you done? <laughs> so he put you in your place so you could not identify with, with him. Which a Jungian analyst wouldn't do. Right. He would, he would do it. He did it. And I was mind of stunned. So this situation arises. What is, uh, in, in your experience, if somebody comes to you with a very strong transference and they see you as a, as a divine teacher and a guru, uh, you know what the what uh, the standard Jungian methods with that would be, what the Eastern methods would be. So, <coughs> what, how do you handle that? What Is there different methods? No, no. To me, it's I see yeah. it this way. Murray, if I am aware that this is a position, and I am aware of my limitations, how much I know, and how much help can come. When I'm aware of this, then I don't get intrigued. This is what my experience is. Before I used to. When a good session used to happen, and then next time when the client comes and he glorifies the whole situation and how I felt, <clears throat> you used to feel like that. Now it's a very different. Yeah, good for him to feel. I will not demolish his feelings, no. his uh, his uh, projection. But if I am aware where I am, and let that relationship work, then problem does not arise. And this is common whether Jungian or uh, anywhere. Mm-hmm. Am I right? This is how I see. Mm-hmm. In a way, that's uh, what you are saying. You are very aware of a counter-transference on your side that you will not fall into it and kind of uh, be identified with that and take it as true, right? Yeah. See, what does that do to other person? When you don't <coughs> take that, they glorify you, they project mm-hmm. all that uh, uh, stuff on you, mm-hmm. their greatness they project on you and mm-hmm. all that. Mm-hmm. What does that do to you when you don't identify? What does that do to the, to the whole situation, to them? Actually, ah, more very important. What they are experiencing is the self within them. Let them experience. Let them explore for the time being with it. Mm-hmm. That's good for them. So that That's the only way in which the self is present to them at that moment. So it doesn't get into you, it doesn't sink into you, yes. it stays with them actually. It. it reflects back. So let it happen. <laughs> and if you don't take it uh, on yourself, then eventually they will realize that, that what they're what's going on. That's they're experiencing exactly. their own yeah, self. Well, there is a the tradition of the guru is different from that of the analyst in a way, isn't yeah. it? That you uh, mm-hmm. well, you you can say much more about that than I. You know, uh, please don't get offended because I am in the same boat as you. But when I presented my thesis in Zurich and wrote a small abstract, one of the points which I made. That dif- relationship, be- uh, the difference between guru and analyst is, guru accepts the price as ego, analyst forty francs. This is the biggest difference between guru 
and but don't you think that makes it easier for the analyst actually I mean you you have the 40 francs and then it's over more or less the guru uh, is burdened with the discipleship endlessly isn't it? he can be uh-huh. he can be then he's gone he's no more guru he cannot do his work I see he cannot be because guru as a person does not do anything. It is the light which is present in both Guru and the disciple, of which when they become aware, it does the work. This is what is brought about very clearly by Maya also in his incubation dream and all that yes. book. It is the same common phenomena, mm-hmm. human phenomena. So he feels since he didn't do anything, he doesn't deserve anything. He doesn't deserve 40 francs, right? <laughs> <clears throat> but see, he receives it in another way. Because he also has his household and yes. expenses. So instead of money as a direct kind of exchange, according to my feeling, according to XYZ's feeling and status, he offers him whatever he can. It may be money, it may be uh, say grain, it may be fruit, mm-hmm. it may be food, he receives that. Mm-hmm. So that is mm-hmm. here the point is that receipt receipt of exchange is not out of greed but out of maintenance of say physical biological security. Mm-hmm. Not and that is just uh, more or less automatically provided by the disciples who yeah, come to this the is, Guru. Yeah, the tradition. They, they take care of the Guru. They, this is the tradition there. Uh-huh. Well, how has that worked <coughs> here for you? I know you've, you've not charged a regular fee often. You have asked uh, donations and whatever amount the patient felt comfortable giving you. Mm-hmm. Is that uh, how, how do you feel about it now, having done that for a number of years in this culture? Yeah, first three four years, as I have already mentioned in my paper, there was difficulty, there, there was anxiety and all that. Because I find that everyone, every time, whenever I needed something, money came. See. There were clients who could pay fifty dollars. They paid. Even when I said this is the fee and whatever we can. And there were those who could not pay or even five dollars. Mm-hmm. And in spite of that, things are going very well. Mm-hmm. No anxiety. I'm happy about this that I'm free from that anxiety of money. Mm-hmm. Once I took that step. So it can work. I want to ask you, since we are talking about uh, differences and similarities between guru and uh, therapist, uh, particularly uh, Jungian analysts, uh, could you reflect a little on if there is any difference between <coughs> the Jung's notion of the self and uh, the Eastern notion of enlightenment? Is that the same thing, or is there a difference? No. I, 
felt also personally and also from reading that Jung was deeply a religious man in the true sense of the term. And you know in that uh, BBC uh, video there he says, I know, I don't have to believe. The way in which he speaks, he yeah, comes from Muladhar. <laughs> That's all. He experienced, knew it. In that sense, Jew, not here. So, the what he was talking about, sense, and what Eastern tradition talks about, it's not in the same thing. But he did not want to talk about that indefinably, in that sense. Because rest was ready only for the representation, the image, the So let them experience, feel it. Then let them go beyond. That's option. So first he, he gave the images of the self, uh, the, the quaternity, the square, mm-hmm. the diamond, right, the, yeah. so on and so forth. And then uh, that's a step toward the experience of the ineffable. And the West has to start with the image and go through that path. So we have to become idol worshippers. Yes. He made us idol worshippers. <laughs> In a way that is a trap, right? Oh, it can be. Uh, begins and ends with the, with the image of the self. That that's a trap, right? But the living presence, uh, kind of, a, is something he was very careful not to go too much into that because it is, in a way, as you think, undefinable. The, the living presence, but the image is, is there, right? Yeah. Arwin, would you say that one of your uh, goals in therapy is to have the client, the, the person you're working with? Uh, actually experience the self in the session? If somebody comes to you with a problem and so on, you discuss the problem, you talk about it, and so on and so forth, but that's, I mean, that's not very healing, usually, just to figure out solutions to problems. Do you, do you, uh, do you attend to the, the presence of the self in the session? Do you hope that it will be constellated right there and experienced? Or does it happen, never happen sometimes? It may, it may not. It may not. We have to be honest to the moment yes. and honest to the So wherever he is, whatever he is bringing, to be with it honestly and sincerely, is, I think, to me sufficient. And if that moment deepens on its own next time or some other time, let it happen. I, I can't do it. You cannot make it happen, no. but are you? does it happen sometimes? Are you, are you happy when it does happen? Oh, naturally. Yes. Uh, I'll tell you some recent experience <coughs> of a very... Um, what words I should use at a Catholic who was bound to his ideas. Rigid dogmatic. Rigid. Ah, rigid. Yeah. And <laughs> how he was in the beginning bound to the vows that he had taken. And it was difficult in the beginning to let him see. But as he began to see, because his problems were some 
kind of say sexual suppose I won't name the problem because it's no good. That problem was there. Suppose that there was sexual problem. To make him feel into the sexual problem and let him accept. This is the shadow side. You must accept. You know, it was difficult in the beginning. But I had to be there. When he didn't want to discuss, I let it go. But as he was sincere, as it started, he began to accept. He began to talk about something more, of something else, and he cut over those, uh, you know, imprisonments mm-hmm. of the mm-hmm. So we have to go around with the current, the rhythm of the person. Of course. Yeah. Yes. What, uh, of the thousands of analytic sessions you've, you've had mm-hmm. uh, with other people, um, what, which ones are the ones you are, you would be, I don't, I don't mean, can you remember specific ones, but what kind of session would you say is the most healing that you feel and the client feels you agree, uh, or looking back on the session, you feel there was a healing moment. Something changed, something happened. Can you yeah, specify com- anything? Now, there is a common point here. There is uh, one can describe some of the moments, but <clears throat> more describing the peaks, I am more aware of the underlying foundation which, when experienced, made us feel whole, happy. Uh, let me explain to you. There is something deeply bothering a person and can't understand what is going on. Understand it? And then I use at that time, okay, focusing. <laughs> Let the person experience what he is or she is experiencing. I begin to feel along with the person. And often time I felt, I don't know what's here and what is bothering, as if I am he or she, like that. We are both together mm-hmm. and whatever the person says, I reflect back. Yes, but yeah, we are Can we see? Can we experience? What is there? Ah, yeah, I don't understand. Yeah, I'm confused. Like that, you know. We are both together. Mm-hmm. And the ending of the session happens without any further light. But being in that place relieves a lot of tension, as I've seen in that. Yes. And it goes much more calm. Mm-hmm. So here is not a kind of peak experience, not yes. one may call it self-experience, but it is something which is, I can't Mm-hmm. But say, mm-hmm. <laughs> and that builds the foundations for the whole therapy <laughs> sessions like that. <laughs> In a way, that's consistent, isn't it, uh, Murray? What uh, Arvin is talking about all through this dialogue that being with, ah, being there, sure, being there, and uh, and uh, let that material somehow speak 
uh, from self and reveal it, reveals itself, right? Arwen, we have just a few minutes left, mm-hmm. and I, I would just like to shift a little bit to mm-hmm. the question of training therapists. Mm-hmm. And on the Eastern tradition, I don't know how you train gurus. Uh, somebody comes and applies, wants to become a guru. Do you have interviews? <coughs> Do you have a selection process? We have an institute here, and we we try to identify people who come and say they want to be analysts. Would this be a good one? Not. In your thinking about uh, training analysts, the kind of analysts you'd like to see in the future, what do you think we should look for in the, in the people who come and what should we focus on in the training? What's the most important thing? That's a very good question. And you have put not one question but more than one question. The, what kind of training we have in, in our guru tradition and what kind of things we should look for in the uh, people who want to be Indian Let me first of all talk about, uh, as I have experienced with my being, as so many others used to come to me, and the way we used to do with us, there was nothing like diploma, there is nothing like degree, there was no restriction as to how many times you come, and all that. All that was important, that you listen. And if through listening you are getting, you will go on coming till you feel it is okay. And as so many times I see, I saw with my students who used to come to my guru, they break away. <coughs> go their own way because they are doing this or that. That's all right. Do what you like with whatever you have received, however, how much you have received and how you are using is no more Guru's concern. Because what you are doing, you are discontinuing. Guru is not for it. Mm-hmm. Right? So this is the kind of training at all. Is there. Of course, there are other institutions which have grown up where you are required to live a kind of life, read certain scriptures as Chinmayananda have and many others have. Mm-hmm. But we will call them learned people. Learned people. Uh-huh. You cannot bring about spirituality through this kind of thing. No. It's not that thing. It is your own inner inspiration from within and living according to it, going along with it and not caring to be called a guru, which makes you guru. So we can apply that. And if, I, if you remember when June was here and we had just started our institute here, Chicago, I brought in one quotation from you where he puts individuation as highest level. Mm. And say, let us this be our motto. And whosoever is prepared to so stake everything for this, he is the right person. Whether he is master, whether he is not master, 
because we have worked with him for hundred hours, two hundred hours, and found out what, what, where he is at. Let him go. Let him be a part of our work. That I prefer. And that is what, from the very beginning, when in seventy I came, I wanted June to do that. And we had different that is what I would like to do. <laughs> is there anything else you would like to say before we stop? Um, we can enter the silence together. Yes. That's the best thing. This podcast is distributed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. Share it all you like as long as you maintain the attribution to the speaker, but please do not change it or sell it. If you like this episode, tell your friends about us or leave us a review on iTunes. For more information about classes, training programs, videos, audio, this podcast, or to find a Jungian analyst near you, visit our website, www.jungchicago.org.